everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 19 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Jaws on your You're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Today's super fan is Lorna Murison. Matthew and I met her on the StoryWonk Discord server, so I knew right away that she has great taste. So when she volunteered to watch Jaws and, and be on the show, I jumped at the chance. So thank you for joining us, Lorna. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to find out if you enjoyed this movie as much as I do. Well, you'll find out shortly. Yeah. Although I kind of spoiled it on Twitter because everybody wanted me to enjoy this show. So. Oh, I'm good. I'm so happy everyone else is enthusiastic about it too. Yes, yeah, so many people were begging me to like the show, and I think it's just, I, you know, maybe some, we need to do some analysis at some point on, like, what percentage of these shows I actually like, Yeah, um, because it, you know, there there have been kind of a, a run of ones recently where I've not been such a fan, so we'll see. Do you have a favorite yet? I think my favorite is... Well, it's easily Monty Python. I mean, very <laughs> <laughs> right, because I would rather watch Clerks again than watch Monty Python again. Um, I think my favorite is still Die Hard. Oh, wow. Uh, but Godfather is up there. And, I mean, Firefly, obviously. But I feel like Firefly just kind of can't compete with anything else because it's Whedon. Yeah, I've never seen Firefly. I feel like... You should. You should sit down at some point, although they did just take it off Netflix, so... Yeah, they did just take it off. Mm-hmm. I found out, like, five days ago that it was there, and then, oh. Yeah. yeah. It's so sad. So we always start the show with me explaining why on earth I have never watched whatever it is that we're talking about. So why have I never watched Jaws? I have no idea. I really don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I, maybe I... I just didn't like good things when I was young. That's really all I can come up with. Because I don't I don't know. It makes no sense to me. Unless it's just another example of me being snobby towards things that were made in the 70s. Well, I can understand you not having seen something that was made so long ago. I mean, I only saw it because it was recommended to me. Because it's exactly the kind of thing that I'm going to enjoy. Right. But if it's not the kind of thing you would enjoy, then I could see you never really wanting to watch it. But I don't, I don't, I don't really understand that though because it is exactly the kind of thing that I would enjoy. Well, okay, maybe it, maybe it wasn't when I was younger. <laughs> I don't know. It it's just, it baffles me. It really does. Lorna, when did you first see it? I think I must have been like eleven or twelve at the time. So like uh, mid nineties. I think my dad told me to watch it because hmm. I just loved all these kind of monster movies. <laughs> so he's like, oh, you got to watch this. <laughs> so you've seen it on TV. Have you ever seen it at the cinema? No. Okay. Me neither. I'm... Okay. <laughs> it sounded like you had. I, I would imagine it's it's quite a different experience, but it's still quite quite engrossing even when you watch it on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, I had asked for some, some last-minute comments on Twitter before we got started, and uh, someone, and I apologize, I do not remember who it was, commented that they went to see this in the theater with their sister and her sister got so freaked out just by the music at the beginning that she left and didn't watch any of the movie <laughs> the music so, at and the I'm, beginning yeah well because at the very beginning is when you get that that jaws theme yeah um 
and, and it's very creepy. I mean, I think it was my my thought number four and five on my doc. So that's right after the logo is the the creepy music. And so I totally get it. And I guess being in a theater and having that surround you and be so loud probably be pretty terrifying. Yeah. My, my mom said they saw it at the cinema when it came out. And yeah, the music is one side, but the fact you don't see the shark for like the majority of the film um, right. really adds to it and adds to that suspense about it, which is, yeah, you know, it's used so well a couple of years after this, I think in alien, as, as how to make something genuinely scary is just don't see it. Right. Absolutely. Well, before we get into our uh, primary discussion, let me give a bit of history and production information. Uh, Jaws is an American thriller that was released on June 20th, 1975. It was based on the 1974 novel of the same name by Peter Benchley. The novel itself was based on a series of shark attacks in 1916 that happened off the coast of New Jersey, and also after a fisherman in Montauk caught a 4,500-pound shark in 1964. It was supposed to be shot in 65 days, but technical issues caused the shoot to take a massive 159 days instead. With a budget of just $9 million, which was actually over budget, it was originally supposed to come in under $4 million, it still brought in over $450 million at the box office, making it the highest grossing film of all time until Star Wars was released two years later. The film was released in 450 theaters, which was an exceptionally high number at the time. It was actually the first movie to ever be released so widely. This is the movie that brought us the summer blockbuster. None of the featured actors were the first choice for their roles. John Voight, Joel Grey, and Jeff Bridges were all considered for Hooper before it went to Richard Dreyfuss. And can I just say, I would have actually really liked to see Jeff Bridges in that role. Robert Duvall and Charlton Heston were considered for Brody, and Lee Marvin and Sterling Hayden were considered for Shaw. Jaws received a favorable critical response with Roger Ebert calling it a sensationally effective action picture, a scary thriller that works all the better because it's populated with characters that have been developed into human beings. Though I prefer Pauline Kael's review, where she called it the most cheerfully perverse scare movie ever made in The New Yorker. There were those who had less favorable things to say, but I won't give them any time here. I think this is uh, good evidence to the point made last week that Roger Ebert really likes his popcorn movies. You know, anything uh, low-concept, character, detail-driven, not quite his thing. But something like this, shovel the popcorn away and just enjoy what you're seeing. Absolutely. I'd actually like to know what people didn't like about it. I think there were some people who just said things like it was not well-written. Ah, of course there was. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Some of it's the usual argument about a blockbuster. We don't get time to develop some of our characters. We don't. I think there was one about we don't feel sympathy for the victims. Right. Where normally you would. Okay. And, and I, guess. I, I think uh, we'll address that a bit later with some of the characters we are introduced to. And they talked about, of course, disagreeing with the PG rating, being too gruesome for children. Um, one person <laughs> described it as a mind-numbing repast for sense-sated gluttons. <laughs> Yeah, you feel that's, like a that's rat us. Given yeah, I'll therapy. take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, there, there was definitely some detractors, but um, I, I like Roger Ebert's take on this one. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. as you say, this was the start of the the blockbuster concept. You know, really easy to get into films that everyone wants to go and see. Uh, the film that had been the highest grossing film of all time before this was The Godfather. 
So you can definitely see a shift away from these really in-depth, really detailed but great films to something everyone goes and sees and we want to get that rating as e- as accessible as possible to get all the children to see it families go and see it twice we make more money right this movie was actually the movie that shifted the business model for how hollywood does things mm. um this is the movie where they started doing heavy television marketing and um merchandise before a movie came out right. so that it really built up to the movie's release which is why it ended up being on so many screens and I, that really shifted the way you do business for movie making, mm-hmm. I think, because that's the standard now, and it wasn't prior to Jaws, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you say, pretty much perfected a couple of years later with Star Wars. Absolutely. <laughs> it was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Film Editing, Best Original Dramatic Score, Best Sound, and Best Picture. The only one it didn't win was Best Picture, losing to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In addition to the Oscar for Best Original Dramatic Score, John Williams also won a Grammy, a Golden Globe, and the BAFTA Award for Best Film Music. Jaws is widely considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. It's been included in countless lists of best films compiled by AFI, Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, TV Guide, and more. In 2001, the U.S. Library of Congress selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. And that's becoming quite a trend in the movies that we're watching for the show. Well, that's what will happen when you're trying to pick out the classics. Yeah, significant pop culture artifacts. Yeah, Yeah, so I I kind of feel like I just need to go find this list and just make that my list of of movies that we're going to watch. Should probably be a terrible idea, but yeah, they nominate twenty-five a year. That's a very long year. <laughs> well, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Jaws, although I can't imagine that even if you haven't seen it, that you don't actually know what it's about. Uh, but Jaws is about a giant shark terrorizing a small island tourist destination. Simple enough. Yeah, pretty much does it. Yeah, I, I do try to narrow those down to the like simplest terms possible because it makes me laugh. We do try to tell everybody how we all watched the film in case you haven't seen it and you'd like to join us. I actually ended up doing the seven-day free trial of Stars with the Amazon Prime subscription so I could watch it for free, which was nice because I didn't have to rent this one like I've had to do for the last several. Uh, it was not on TV. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon Prime. Or nothing over here. I bought it on DVD. Well, I actually own the 30th anniversary DVD, which comes with two discs, the Making of Jaws documentary, which is pretty awesome in and of itself, and the disc with the movie on it, which I apparently lost, I don't know when, several years ago. But (laughs) apparently it's on Netflix in Canada, so I watched it there. That is so weird. I hate that Netflix is different in all the countries. (laughs) (sighs) That's frustrating. I just kind of assume that if it's on Netflix in Canada, then... It's everywhere else, too, but I guess that's not a safe assumption. It is not a safe assumption. Mm -hmm. Netflix is always the first place I check, Mm. and I got that nice big window that says, we're sorry, Jaws is not available for streaming. (laughs) You know how Netflix gives you, because you liked this, I suggest you watch this and this. Mm. So it says, because you liked Jaws, and then the third item on the list, I suggest you watch Bean, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. You you like films with one word titles. That's our category. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's what it is. (laughs) 
Okay. Mandy, before you saw this, what were your expectations and what did you know about it? All I knew about the movie was the theme song and that it was about a big shark. (laughs) That's legitimately all I knew. And I expected it to be a fun action-adventure flick. I, you know, I thought it would be entertaining. Okay. I always, in my head, put this in the the monster movie category. What other monster movies do you have experience of, and particularly the the shark underwater type movies? Okay, if we're talking about shark movies, we have to talk about Sharknado. (laughs) I love Sharknado, you guys. (laughs) I do. I love Sharknado, and I've seen all of them. And, you know, I I really think they should have stopped after three, but they didn't, and and we're going to get some more. But um, Sharknado is not a good movie, you guys. I I will tell you that. can't stop watching a movie partway through or stop reading a book partway through, but Sharknado, I I did. I I (laughs) did not see that one to the end. It's fair. I (laughs) like it because it's... It's like a, a cultural thing because if you live tweet along with it, the rest of the country or the world is live tweeting with you and it's just hilarious and that's why I like it. Okay. But if we're talking about more – I hesitate to say serious movies because, I mean, these are the really bad ones. Uh, but for monster movies, I've seen Tremors. I've seen Arachnophobia. I love Arachnophobia, you guys. I'm so terrified of spiders and I love this movie. It's ridiculous. I've also seen Cloverfield which is definitely Mm -hmm. a weird monster movie. And I was wondering, do movies like Jurassic Park and The Fly count as monster movies? Jurassic Park has to count. Definitely, yes, yeah. Yeah, I I haven't seen The Fly. Yeah, The Fly, I'd I'd put more sci-fi horror than monster movie, although arguably by the end. Help me! (laughs) Help me! Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's all I remember from that movie besides the iconic picture of of Jeff Goldblum being disgusting. Yeah. Is the end shot of that movie is hey, it's also a spider <laughs> coming to kill him. But yeah, bad bad monster movies are the ones I've seen besides you know, Jurassic Park, so Okay. Yeah, so all the ones you listed, well, obviously barring Sharknado, they're exactly the kind of movie I love as well. Tremors, I loved that one. And I'm pretty sure I loved Arachnophobia, but I've only seen it, like, once. So obviously Jaws is right in there with the kind of movies that I love. But I think it's also better than all the others. Another time that it was done the first time really well. It became the the template. I I don't know that I would say Jaws is better than Jurassic Park, but that's just because Jurassic Park... Oh, yeah, no, I just mean shark films. ...the zenith of my, my movies, you know? Yeah. I don't fit Jurassic Park in with the uh, the super tacky, okay. corny ones like Tremors or Arachnophobia. I think Jurassic Park kind of stands yeah. above those. <laughs> I think Jaws fits somewhere in between the super tacky ones and then the really good ones like Jurassic Park. I don't think Jaws really falls under either of those car- uh, categories. There is a trend throughout all of these where we have Jaws, Arachnophobia, and Jurassic Park. Steven Spielberg. Yes. He did arachnophobia. <laughs> I didn't know that. He did. <laughs> you, we've spoiled this a little bit already, but Mandy, talk to us about your feelings about Jaws. I really liked it. I did. I really, really liked it. I mean, there were there were bits that were kind of stupid, and and there were things that really enraged me, but I kind of feel like that if I get enraged at something with the plot, with the story of something that's happening in the story, that's a mark of good storytelling. 
because it has the ability to impact me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I did really like it. Excellent. I'm happy you liked it. <laughs> is, is there a point in the film where it won you over? I suspect it's the introduction of a certain character. <laughs> when Hooper showed up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think you're probably not wrong. <laughs> Because before that, I was still yelling at, at the people in the town for being stupid. <laughs> um, like, oh my god, they didn't shut the beach down. Why would they not shut the beach down? Two people have now died. Oh my god, shut the beach down. <laughs> so, and then Hooper showed up, and 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 he was cute. So, And also, at the same time, Chief Martin's son was mimicking him at the dining room table. Mm-hmm. And that was just adorable, and it... It really humanized Chief Martin and his family. Yes. So I think from from that point on, and it was right after that that Hooper came over for dinner, and so all of that wrapped up together in like five minutes. I was in for the rest of the movie at that point. He, he is a really great character because, like you said, he's, he's kind of little goofy, a little cute, but he's very capable, knows his stuff, and he's everything he says about the sharks and the shark they catch is absolutely right. And then he has this machismo argument ongoing with Quinn, Quint, Quint, where he's you know the, Quint crushes the can and he crushes the little plastic cup, <laughs> and they're comparing scars later. <laughs> oh, that scene was adorable. Yeah, the the normal antagonization you get between the sort of gruff, worldly wise person and the scientist. But he actually stands up to the gruff, worldly wise person, worldly wise person, in a funny way, but in a very uh, charming way. So he does win him over, and they become you know, best of buddies. I think Quint's job is kind of interesting. He's mm-hmm. kind of a marine biologist, right? But he's also a shark hunter, apparently, and mm-hmm. he does autopsies both on people and on sharks, and then goes off and, and studies sharks. I'd like to meet someone in real life who who does all those things as part of their job. I can't imagine a shark specialist actually being called in to perform an autopsy on a person. Well, he didn't actually perform the autopsy, did he? He just examined the remains? Yeah, I would imagine particularly looking at the wounds to say, right, we can see where the teeth marks are and what this means for the radius of the mouth or something. But Yeah. I mean, because that's the information that he came out of that with was, oh, hey, this shark you caught is too small because the mouth of the shark that killed that girl is like five feet wide or or however big it was. It seemed pretty clear that he, he wasn't very experienced with being around dead people. Yeah. (laughs) He was having a really hard time in that scene. It was one of the scenes that made me realize how great of an actor Richard Dreyfuss is, because I bought it completely that he was, you know, trying to be stoic and that he was, you know, really trying to figure out what happened, but struggling through the whole thing. So one of the points you mentioned about uh, people complaining about this film is the rating. Do do we agree with the PG rating? I was shocked that this movie was rated PG. <laughs> I, and in fact, that's one of the first thing, if you look at my thoughts doc, um, which we will have on Twitter and also linked in the show notes, my very second thought is Jaws is only PG? Really? And then the more we watched it and the more blood and the more severed limbs and like floating decapitated heads that we saw, I was just completely flabbergasted that this was rated PG. 
And it turns out PG-13 didn't exist yet in 1975. (laughs) And so our only options were PG or R. The MPAA did want to rate it R, but they kind of toned down a few of the things you know, taking out some of the more gruesome, gruesome frames and, and shortening them a little bit, they were they did agree to give it a PG rating. Fun fact: Steven Spielberg is the reason that we got a PG thirteen in nineteen eighty four because of Temple of Doom, which we know scared you. Yes, it did. <laughs> so even though Jaws was PG, the poster for the film actually read that the movie may be too intense for younger children. Which and apparently just attracted even more people, and they were really pleased yeah. that they got that comment added on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Like, PG floors me, but I guess 1975 was a different time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. when kids were allowed to stand up in the back seat while you were doing road trips. So, <laughs> I mean, nobody really cared what we did to our kids back then. Yeah, for me, the. The scene where Quint meets his demise was really quite um, gory. Mm. I can't imagine that uh, making it through today. But apparently, one of the arguments they made in order to get the PG rating was that the violence isn't done by a person, it's done by an animal. So people (laughs) can't then go out and emulate the kind of violence that they just saw. So it's okay. I can't imagine that argument um, flying today. No. (laughs) It's just a shark, guys. It's okay. (laughs) One of the things that I found really super interesting was, I mean, this is a movie called Jaws. It is about a shark. And the shark doesn't actually make a legitimate full appearance until the movie's almost over, until an hour and 21 minutes into the film. And I found it interesting. The reason, the actual reason that that happened is because uh, they didn't test the the mechanical shark that they used. They didn't test it before filming and it could not hold up to the water and it just kind of sank to the bottom of the ocean and didn't work. (laughs) So they couldn't use the shark for most of the shots. And so Spielberg had to figure out how to work around it. And I think, you know, just like Matthew, you said a little bit earlier, not seeing it made it scarier. Mm. Because the mechanical shark didn't work so frequently, they ended up using barrels, I think. Um, I don't think that was originally um, as big a part of the movie as it ended up being, using the barrels popping up to represent the shark instead of actually having it there, which I think was actually better in the end. Yeah. Yeah, scary to know it's round, but not where in the ocean it is. Yeah. Mm. And I think not seeing it very often helped the illusion that it was a real shark and not a fake shark. Because the few glimpses that we got were so short and, and small that you couldn't just instantly say, oh my god, that's a fake shark. You know, it looked fairly real until you saw his eyes. Because his eyes were clearly plastic and fake. But when you just saw his mouth or, or when you saw him jump up in, in the first scene where he pops up behind uh, Chief Martin um, when he's like chumming and not looking and he just like mm. his head pops up and then he goes away again. He's like, well, that that's fairly realistic, I think. So I liked it. I thought they did good. Yeah. So apparently this is also why it took so long to film. They wanted to make sure that you could never see land at any time so that you felt really 
isolated and that they didn't have anywhere to go. Spielberg was worried that if you could see land, then the audience would be like, hey, why don't you guys just like go back? Go back to shore over there. <laughs> so they had to always be pointing the cameras in a specific direction so you couldn't see land. But then they'd also have sailboats start to come by in the distance and take like an hour to pass across. <laughs> yeah, especially with the wide shots he's doing, taking it all in. Yeah. <laughs> so they figured that they were still better off just waiting for the boat to pass than they would be to move all the equipment and kind of point their stuff in a different direction. So that, along with the shark, Bruce, never working made the the production really long. Yeah. They also had um I read that the the ship the boat that they were on Quint's boat, the Orca, it actually sank during production <laughs> and they had to fix it. So I mean this movie was just plagued with technical difficulties, which they don't come across in the final film. I mean this film turned out to be pretty great. So um, This is this is the curse of films that are set on water. Yes. They they regularly run expensive and, and have these sorts of problems. Um, so I'm sure this is not the last time we'll mention it. I think they dropped one of the film rolls in the water as well. <laughs> but You're right, they did. Jeez. Yeah, they were able to recover it because I guess they use a saline solution when they um, developed the film. So they're like, I think it'll be okay, guys. And it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There's, there's the shot when... Hooper goes down in the cage, and it's intercut with a shot of a shark attacking a cage, which I think is actually supposed to be a shrunken cage to make the shark look bigger. It is, yeah. It is, yes. And I always wonder if I'd prefer it without that, because as soon as you see a real live shark, you go, yeah, yeah, that one we've seen for the rest of it definitely (laughs) doesn't bend. (laughs) I wasn't paying, I guess I wasn't paying that much attention to it, and so I didn't really notice the difference between the real shark and the not real shark because we never really saw the full fake shark except maybe once when he was just swimming by and so wasn't really being super active or anything and most of them when he comes on board towards the end (laughs) yeah okay well that one we don't want to talk about that one (laughs) um so I think Lorna, you you wanted to talk about some of the special effects, and we've talked about the shark, you know, yeah, in pretty, pretty good detail here. But <laughs> but how, like, did you did you think it was good? Because I thought, I mean, for like over forty years ago, I thought it mm. held up pretty good. I think so. I, I think there wasn't a lot going on where I had to stop and say, "Oh my gosh, that's terrible!" Like I did, you know, with Superman. Which happened around the same time. Now, granted, they're very different kinds of movies. Um, and so I feel like this one probably relied way more on practical effects, which are always going to work better in a 70s movie than a, an mm. actual special effect is going to work. And so I mm-hmm. think that's probably why I liked it and, and didn't really n- notice anything that, that made me stop and say, oh, that's so bad. Yeah, except the questionable eyes, right? <laughs> except for the questionable eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, the special effects are great in this. Um, some of the stuff they do on a big scale, so, so having someone flapping about in the water being attacked, or when it's dragging the boat, and you see the boat actually going backwards, you know, that's that's a really good effect and really hard to do. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, apparently the 
scene at the beginning where Chrissy, the first victim, is attacked. They had this fancy pulley system attached to her waist with men running back and forth across the shore, across the beach, pulling on ropes to kind of okay. move her around like that. And she may or may not have been injured during the process. Oh, really? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, I did read that, that they didn't, like, rehearse that. And so every time she got pulled under or, you know, pulled back and forth, her reactions were fairly genuine because she wasn't expecting it because she didn't know when they were going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I always, maybe this is just like a little bit of me being a terrible person, but I always like it a little bit better when they do that <laughs> because it feels like when they're genuinely scared, it comes across better on yeah. camera. And so I like it when they terrorize my actors. <laughs> <laughs> Quick side question. Mandy, have you seen The Exorcist? Yes. Okay. I think mostly. It just, just the story of them being strapped in has reminded me of when uh, the girl's mother is thrown across the room. Apparently, after okay. the first take, she complains about it and says it's too hard. It's it's really painful. And the uh, the director turns away and she sees him nod to the guy doing it in just a yeah yeah we're getting this right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I you, like you my actor terrorized. <laughs> as soon as you have someone strapped into something and you're putting them around there's a high chance of them at least being sore, if not injured. Right. Mm. Yeah. Personally, I think that even knowing that it was an animatronic shark, it could still be pretty scary to see that thing come out of the water at you. I don't know how much of it you can actually see when you're there, but I don't know. I could see it being creepy. So I have been to, through the Backlot Tour of Universal Studios, and they actually have the shark there. Hmm. Oh, I'm jealous. And you guys, it's really bad. <laughs> when you're up close to the shark, it's really bad. But on camera, in the movie, you couldn't tell, so it was okay. In some of the commentary, they were like, it's really bad when it's not moving, but when it moves, it's better. <laughs> Yeah, certainly the mouth, the, the bit that actually comes at everyone, it looks really savage. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm. And that tooth that, that he pulled out of that boat was huge. I mean, it was like the size of his palm. Yeah. But because Bruce uh, had so many difficulties, they couldn't use him so much. And restriction is good in these cases. If it worked really well, you'd see a lot more of it and it would be less scary. Mm. But they had to introduce this this music and make it much more foreboding. Uh, to, to kind of fill in and kind of ramp up some of the terror of it and it works so effectively it really does grab you in the film and it's one of the most famous you know if we're talking about pop culture and references it's one of the most famous things as soon as i say jaws to anyone their first thing to me is <laughs> okay thanks <laughs> absolutely a great segue into the next point because i really wanted to talk about john williams it's only a great segue if no one says it's a great segue (laughs) (laughs) yes but i like to do that so bite me (laughs) plus five segue points (laughs) this is the first john williams score that hasn't sounded like all of the other ones (laughs) yes because Superman, Star Wars, and Indiana Jones are all variations of the same thing. And so this one, when the music started, my first thought was, well, this is from the 70s and it's famous, so it's probably John Williams, but it doesn't sound like John Williams. And then his name popped up in the credits and I was like, whoa, this is awesome. 
And I found the story where Steven Spielberg actually thought that John Williams, when he played his two-note theme, it's just two notes, it's the notes E and F. When he played that for Spielberg the first time, Spielberg thought it was a joke and he laughed. But it is what actually made the movie and made the movie so successful. So they screened it before the music was added, I think, and the basic feedback was like, yeah, it's, it's okay, you know. It was a decent movie. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's got to be better than this. And then everything turned around once they added the music to it. Yeah. Abs- mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the music, the way music has the ability to make you feel things, like you don't even need to be watching the screen. When you hear that music, it kind of makes your heart beat a little bit faster and your throat catches and you, like you just feel like something bad is about to happen. And I think it's brilliant. Did you guys notice that you never get the two-note Jaws music without actually getting the shark? There's no musical red herrings in the movie. And the best evidence of this is when you transition from the scene where there's the two kids with the fake shark fin swimming around the beach and people are screaming shark, but there's no music, and you kind of feel like there's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. But then immediately following that, the girl starts screaming that there's a shark in the pond, and it actually is there. And then the music builds up, and you can see the look on Brody's face as he slowly is like, oh my god, she's telling the truth. And the music builds up, and then you know because of that that it's, it's for real this time. I didn't pick up that that's what was happening. But I did notice that, I mean, I figured out that that the kids weren't the real shark. I I don't know why I thought that because, I mean, it it looked like a shark when they were swimming through. But my, my first instinct was just that's not really a shark. And I couldn't figure out why I thought that. It makes sense, you know, if the music wasn't there. Mm hmm. And sometimes they have the the shark without the music, so it's yes. even more of a surprise. <laughs> like when Brody sees it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that scene. Yeah. <laughs> but but actually, that's one of the things that the use of... I want to say the use of silence. It's not silence. The use of quiet and no music, no uh, you know cinematic features to it. When uh, the boys first attacked and the mother's on the beach and everyone's just silent and she's looking around and slowly starts shouting his name louder and louder. And in fact, when she turns up later and slaps the chief, which is just a shocking moment, through to when Bruce first appears out of the water when he's chumming the water. The fact that there's no music, it actually heightens the, the sort of terror of it and quite how hard it is on everyone what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like... It's like when we were talking in The Godfather a couple weeks back, Michael Corleone's character is terrifying when Mm. he's not shouting, when he's got that quiet calm about him. When he's shouting, you know, yeah, he's mad, but whatever. But when he goes calm, it's intense and it's scary. And you get that same feeling here in the movie in Jaws when, you know, yeah, the music is scary, but then when you've got this, this quiet calm and, you know, there's a kid being killed or... The shark just, you know, coming up next to the boat with, Mm. with, yeah, it's, it's terrifying, especially when you don't have that cue to expect it. Yeah. And it really drives home that human element of the terror. A a shark attack is, is a little abstract. 
to people who don't live on certain coasts of Australia. Um, <laughs> or Florida. Or Florida, true. The idea of losing someone in a crowd and you just don't know where they've gone or, or experience that loss or something appearing that you didn't expect to appear is something we can all kind of work with in our heads. Yeah. So the movie did win an Oscar for Best Sound, right? So mm-hmm. did you guys... There's a couple of moments that I noticed this time around, especially watching it, where the sound was really good. The scene... Well, first of all, the nails on the chalkboard. <laughs> I don't know if they like remastered the sound or something on the Netflix version, because I remember watching it on the DVD and that not really bothering me. It seemed like toned down. But this time watching the Netflix version, oh my gosh, it was. It seemed a lot more real. And that I'm definitely one of those people who cannot stand the nails on the chalkboard <laughs> thing. <laughs> so I don't know if they made any improvements to the Netflix version. Yeah, I don't know. In the the version I watched on on Stars, it was pretty significant. I mean, it was one of those very cringeworthy, oh my god, stop moments. <laughs> and and again, it's a much better way to do it than him shouting over the rest of them. Yeah. Absolutely commanding attention by something you wouldn't expect. Mhm. And then just sitting there eating those crackers or whatever he's eating. <laughs> You know, and those had you know pretty significant sound too. I don't, I don't really quite know what they were going for, unless it was just his casualness about everything. But it irritated me. Like I was thinking, if you crunch on one more of those things, I am just going to reach through the screen and slap you silly. I didn't notice that at all. Really? Like, really? He was eating something. I thought it was just like his his buddy that was with him who like had the snack bag or whatever yeah i did not oh, know he, he I, I was too busy recovering down <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that whole scene just made me because as that being our introduction to quint really predisposed me not to like him because he was taking advantage of the situation he was being completely irreverent to these two people who had just died and was like Oh, well, you're only going to offer 3000 Well, no, I will kill him for you if you give me $10,000. Like, no care whatsoever that a child has just died. And it really, really made me hate him to start with. By the end of the movie, I didn't quite hate him as much. I didn't care that he died, but I didn't hate him as much. But in that moment, everything about him irritated me, from the fingernails on the chalkboard to the crunchy crackers to just his attitude. I didn't like him. Well, I guess he was taking advantage, but I don't think that anyone would have caught the shark if he hadn't have offered. I don't think the $3,000 reward would have done it. So in the end, he saved the day, right? But he should have been willing to do it for $3,000 is what I'm saying. (laughs) He died. (laughs) He put his life at risk. Everybody put their life at risk, and a lot of people died, and nobody else tried to milk the town for more money. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I just... I don't like him as a person, but he's a great character, so... He is. Uh, You you may have noticed that I have this thing against really terrible human beings, (laughs) And, and he definitely fits into that category for me. Not quite as bad as as some others that we've talked about on the show, but I definitely don't like him. Although, he did get better 
partially because of his speech about being in the war. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives you insight into the character and the man and mm-hmm. what he's thinking and and how difficult it really may be for him to go after sharks, even though this is what he does. You know, and and so that. I think I even noted during that speech is, wow, it's really going to suck if after that speech he really dies by the shark and then he dies. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's kind of like a, an Ahab character, right? He's got this obsession mm. ever since um, that experience being hunted by sharks. He's kind of had an obsession with killing them, it seems like. Eh, just a little and bit. Then, yeah. And then, of course, he... If he's going to die somehow, it's going to be by a shark, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess there is no no better way for him to die. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever expected him to go go out taking the shark with him or something. Either he was going to make it or the shark was going to get him, which was the most likely. Yeah. I really like that it was uh, the chief that got him, especially since he he didn't even want to go in the boat. He's afraid of water. You know, and they they talked about how on the ferry, like he stayed in the car because he didn't want to see the water, and and then he ends up being the one clinging to a sinking ship who who takes out the the shark, and I I really liked that. Well, it kind of had to be him as like the main protagonist at the beginning with trying to get the beaches closed when no one else wants to, and then. Um, for I guess the second half of the movie when they're out on the boat he kind of is told what to do rather than actually mm-hmm. leading the action so it kind of turns around again at the end when he's the one who who saves the day yeah yeah it's the the Spielbergian trope of he hates the water but he has to take out a thing yeah. in the water <laughs> Alan Grant in Jurassic Park hates kids and loves dinosaurs but has to protect kids from dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for Jurassic Park, guys. <laughs> the the bit that I always love for Quint is when they're loading up the ship and he just has this stream of consciousness in the background talking about everything that's going on and making little digs at people and making jokes at Brody's wife. And... Here lies the body of Mary Lee. Died at the age of 103. For 15 years she kept her virginity. Not a bad record for this vicinity. It's he actually was, quite charming. In that scene, to give the wife a hard time. Really? And yeah, and then he came up with that little limerick that he that the actor had read on a gravestone in Ireland somewhere and he just like came out with that in the moment filming that scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Terrific. Yeah. And of course when he's loading the anti shark cage. I like that moment. Anti-shark cage. Anti-shark cage. You go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Shark's in the water. Our shark. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu you ladies of Spain. <laughs> 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 There's a couple other moments related to the sound effects that well, not sound effects, the sound I wanted to talk about. Mm. 
the scene where the two fishermen are hunting for sharks off of the dock with the holiday roast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the dock gets broken off and taken out to sea, and then it kind of stops and slowly turns around and comes back towards them. It makes this awesome, like, horror movie-esque creaking noise, like a door slowly opening, I guess, as as it turns around. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. I did not notice because I was too busy shouting at the two men. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> yeah, see, I was too busy paying really close attention this time and trying to pick out things <laughs> I hadn't seen before. That was one of them. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the turning round of the dog, it always makes the shark seem really malevolent. Like it's actively coming for them. Which it is, but it's already eaten something. But this is the thing that's just hunting people because it wants to go and kill. And I think that shows at the end of the movie as well. Well, mm. I guess not the very end, but it it's hunting them. They They head out onto the water and they think they're hunting it, but it's hunting them. Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. So then at the very end, where the body of the shark is sinking down through the water with the blood going everywhere. There's a sound effect there that came from the movie Duel that Steven Spielberg previously made a few years before this one, where there's a truck chasing this guy Mm -hmm. and the truck itself is kind of like a monster. But at the end of the movie, it goes off a cliff and it makes this sound that's actually the sound of a dinosaur roar from some B-movie, apparently, and they use that for this truck going off the cliff in Duel, and then, again, for the shark sinking into the water at the very end of Jaws. (laughs) You have to go back and re-listen to it to notice, because it's kind of subtle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Whenever you mention Jaws to people, there's always a reference to the music. Um, but the other thing that certainly within my family and when I think of it that always gets referenced is that zoom on Roy Scheider on the chief when he sees the boy being attacked and you have this amazing dolly zoom that just everything shrinks around him and he becomes just giant in the in the uh, center of the frame mm-hmm. and it's I've mentioned for a couple of weeks now how the cinematography has been great in the films we've watched this is a film that really does show why Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest filmmakers. And that shot is so perfectly used. But particularly because before that, we've had several minutes at least that are just lots of really quick shots to someone in the water, back to the chief, someone else in the water, back to the chief. And, and in fact, there's a series of them that are zooming in on him in a very similar way, but it's static zooms. So we're closer, then we're closer, then we're right up against him. And then people come and talk to him, and we've got the person in the foreground and the person in the background in focus which I think they've actually mixed two shots to get that, that done, but to give us this idea that the chief is only really focused on what's going on in the water at the time. And then finally the boy is attacked, and you just get this this shot of pulling the camera away, zooming in, and just you can see and feel the peril. And it's it's a very hard trick to pull off to to make you feel the peril or the sinking feeling in the stomach in a visual way. Usually it's the way that they're acting towards it or uh, the way the sound is coming across. But that that shot is just one of the great moments of cinema for me. Yeah, you can really feel the tension that he's feeling in that moment. Mm. And I wanted to call out to it because I liked it. And it's it's an effect that Hitchcock really first used in Vertigo to show someone feeling vertigo. So, so the idea of the 
floor moving beneath them. And this is one of the, another fairly early use. But since this, it's just it's overused, and you, and you see it in so many things for this purpose. But again, one of the first times it's done, and it's very rarely done as well as this. And I wanted to touch on characters a bit. Uh, we, we've talked a bit about the Chief and Quint and Hooper, who are pretty much the main characters. Um, but like you said earlier, Mandy, the Chief's family are just wonderful because they're, they feel like a very genuine family. They're all very nice and, and happy, in, again, in a Spielbergian way. Uh, but the way yeah. the son copies him, the way the wife debates with him about what the children should be allowed to do, but then has that moment of seeing the shark attack and just going, no, out of the water. We're done. Yeah. We're done with water forever. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite moment with her. <laughs> but the fact that they are all quite so nice and friendly and happy and supportive, it, in another film I'd be going, well, one of this lot is dead. And particularly with sons. <laughs> well, and I expected his son to die when the shark showed up in what they call the pond, which I still don't get because it's not a pond. It's connected to the ocean. But I, I honestly did expect his kid to die in that moment and i was really glad he didn't yeah it's it's almost as terrifying that he comes out just limp and unmoving in shock yeah well i thought when they were dragging him out i really thought we were going to see a trail of blood like his foot had been bitten off or something so i i like that they didn't do what you expected them to do mm. well brody's already taking it well, not taking it personally but he's already like in it and like super super concerned about this issue i don't think they really needed to bring it home anymore by having his family personally involved in it that's true yeah uh like we said at the beginning you don't get to know much about the kids the the people who were killed uh, certainly in the yeah. build-up to them going out so you don't feel that sympathy for them that's you it's you know normally a film way of evoking sympathy and understanding for killing them and particularly because it's killing an animal. I'm not sure we would kill it if the film was made today. I would say kill it with fire. <laughs> kill I, it with... I don't think escaping from the shark is an option. It's clearly like on a mission to get people, I think. like It's hunting them when they're out there. So if, I don't think that anyone would ever be able to swim in, in that water again unless they killed it. Yeah. It's fairly easy to avoid, though. Don't go in the water. Well, yes, but I think the mayor has made a point that uh, that's not really much of an option for their little town. Yeah. Sod the mayor, though. <laughs> We're talking yeah. about the characters. The mayor can go jump and play in traffic. <laughs> no, he can go and play in the sea, is what he can do. <laughs> well, so, I, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Most of us have probably heard the line, in, in case you've missed it, the police in this town are deeply stupid. And while that doesn't apply to the police in this town, it does apply to the mayor. And in fact, deeply stupid is, is something that I wrote many, many times in my thoughts doc because they are just stupid. Yeah, I, I don't really have a defense for the mayor. <laughs> I understand he's concerned about people making money, but or having a livelihood, I should say. But yeah, people getting killed is, is worse. Mm. <laughs> Should be the priority. Should be. Yeah. But he's still a good character. He's still a good antagonist for Brody. The yeah, main thing I'm... I can say about the mayor is that I was glad when he finally changed his jacket. Because <laughs> he, I mean, he wore the same jacket for like days in the beginning. And it irritated me. <laughs> I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, and, and his awfulness for not closing the beaches or, or being concerned with the you know, economy of the town. Again, a modern movie might lean on that harder with making us sympathetic for the shark in some way, even if we did have to kill it and end up with a, and man is the real monster. 
<laughs> Lots of moment. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it didn't go that way. I mean, the, the shark was the monster. The shark was terrorizing the town. And, you know, we got to see that story through. And I'm, I'm glad that's the story mm. they told. Mm-hmm. It's something they lean on a, a lot more for the sequels that the shark actually comes after them to the extent that it's implied in the fourth one. In fact, I think it might even be part of the plot that this is a descendant of Bruce that's actually coming to hunt the Brody family. Oh, see, now, I don't think I'd be down with that. <laughs> as as my mum said, the sequels made this film look even better. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We talked on Superman about Superman Returns being the first uh, film we'd seen in, in full digital 3D. I think Jaws 3 is the first one I can remember having like red and blue glasses to see 3D for them, because it is called Jaws 3D. It was awful. Um, yeah, and then there was, I, I can remember one shot being in 3D and the rest of it not being. Yeah, oh, wow. the shark swimming towards the window Yeah, or exactly. See, yeah. I've seen it, but I haven't seen it in 3D. Okay. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so bad. I don't know if it's that awful if it, if you actually see it in 3D, but the special effects have gotten worse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's just it, that's weird to me. That I mean, Jaws is clearly not intended to be campy. It's intended to be a thriller, an mm. actual. This is you know something that is going to kill you, and it's a serious threat. It's not like Tremors. You know, and so it's weird that that their se- it sounds like their sequels devolved into those campy horror films. I think with the second one, they tried to kind of make another version of Jaws, but after that, I think it yeah. it went downhill. Yeah, I'm not sure campy, but just a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> the third one does the obvious thing of it's in Sea World, so thanks. Um, and I think it's like twice the size of this shark or something ridiculous like that and then the last one is off an island and they might even go back to amity and i don't think i've seen the last one i think the fourth one might even have michael kane in it as a pilot which again very easy to avoid the shark when you're a pilot (laughs) (laughs) yes it is yeah but i liked his family his family were good they were good characters and they they may they humanize the film very nicely where you see him perking up because of his son yeah. Oh, um, I meant to say that that scene where his son was mimicking him, they put that in the film. It wasn't in the original script. They put that in the film because the the little boy was doing that with um, Scheider, oh, like nice. in between takes and stuff. And Spielberg <laughs> saw it and, and thought it was adorable and wanted to recreate it. And so that's why it's in the movie. Oh, that's awesome. It was adorable. <laughs> it was complete. That little boy. So yeah. cute. Yeah. <laughs> I liked all the characters in this movie, that they all seemed like actual, real, well-developed, believable people. And I like the relationships that you get on the boat between the three men. I thought they played really well off each other. Mm. Um, I, I really liked the, the drunken pissing contest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the drunk acting is genuinely good. <laughs> You see people on screen pretending they're drunk and you don't... They always do this silly slurring thing and and just being a bit daft. And it never quite sells itself. And here I I even have a moment watching it of going, are they drunk? Have they been drinking? Because this is really believable. (laughs) Well, okay. So when Shaw does his big speech, he got permission from Spielberg to actually drink beforehand. Okay. And then... 
he got so drunk he couldn't do it and had to go home. And so he had to come back and redo it the next day. But when he redid it, he completely nailed it. Nice. And so I imagine in some some of that was actually they were drunk. And by the time they built up to that scene, that's the part they had to redo. So Brody has two drunk scenes, right? There's the one where he's on, on Hooper's boat at the beginning, mm-hmm. where he's on his, his second bottle of wine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's only an island if you look at it from the water. <laughs> yeah, and even yeah. then, you can believe it. And you can see, again, the, the going to drink as the toll of everything he's having to go through and deal with mm-hmm. this. The, the filling up of the big, big, like, pint glass with the wine. It's proved today by cutting a shark open, but you, you know, you want to let that breathe for nothing, nothing. so in that scene i only noticed it this time around but when he fills up that glass there was already something in the bottom of it oh really (laughs) there was like i don't know orange juice or something in the bottom of the glass and he just pours the wine on top of it (laughs) which made me cringe a little bit but it was pretty great yeah they they did a good job of inserting humor in this movie without it being over the top or kind of out of place, I think. It was like that scene, I didn't notice that there was anything in the bottom of the glass, but just watching him, you know, put a little bit of wine in his wife's wine glass, a little bit of wine in Hooper's wine glass, and then he just fills up his water glass, you know, and the look on his face while he's doing it, it was hilarious. And and even in the in the scene where it's supposed to be truly terrifying, where he's like throwing chum off the back of the boat, you know, his, he's looking away from the water towards Mm -hmm. the camera. And then, you know, Bruce pops up out of the water and like, he realizes that he's there and just the look on his face, he goes so deadpan for a minute. Like, I think it's so funny. And then of course it jumps right back into that, like terrifying bit, but just his facial expressions were great. And I thought they were spot on and they brought some of those elements of humor to the story that I think we really needed so that it wasn't just, tense the entire time so apparently the line that he says before the shark first comes up he says slow ahead i can go slow ahead come on down and chump some of this shit and apparently they had him say shit because that was supposed to get a laugh out of the audience like that was kind of a like a, a sort of shocking thing for him to say so they were supposed to laugh at that and then be shocked a moment later when the shark pops up. So they were intentionally putting comedy in there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But it wasn't his line that made me laugh. It was his face. <laughs> Which sounds really bad, but you know what I mean. And again, the comedy of a cigarette hanging out from someone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So then I guess my comment was throughout the movie, they keep referencing the idea of getting to be an islander and that you are only an islander if you're born there. And it just, to me, kind of serves to isolate Brody from the town, I guess. Yeah. Make him more of an outsider. But then there's a the concept that you can never be an islander, so no matter how long he lives there, no matter what he does, he's never going to truly belong there. But they didn't really... They mentioned it a couple times... But I don't know that they really 
brought it home at all or anything, and it made me wonder if there was something in the book there that kind of expanded on that idea a little more. But did you guys notice that islander theme that kept coming up? I wonder if he's now an islander, having saved the island. <laughs> I wonder if he stayed on the island. I mean, okay, there's sequels, so maybe he did. I don't even know what the sequels are about, but... I would think that he would like gather up his family and move somewhere else after this experience. And so I would think that he wouldn't even care if he was an Islander. Well, maybe that was the whole point of it to show that he's not going to (laughs) stay. Yeah. Jaws two is basically Jaws one again Yeah, uh, with older kids. So it's still an Amity. He's still the sheriff. Oh, chief captain, whatever his rank was. He's a chief. Yeah. Okay. Police chief, yeah, that's it. But then, yeah, number three, I, I think he's even passed away by that point, And it's now about his sort of grown-up sons, which might be like one of the Quades. Hmm. <laughs> is it the hot Quaid or the crazy Quaid? <laughs> Dennis, Dennis Quaid is Mike Brody. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I thought that at the end of the second movie, he, he packed up and left. You know, once is bad luck, two is unfortunate. If it's a third time, then you're just doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it's just your own fault, right? Yeah. Right. So we've talked a lot kind of about the story and, and what's been going on in the movie. So what are, uh, Lorna, what are your favorite lines, your favorite moments from Jaws? There are really so many. Like, I could probably pick out every other scene and tell you it's my favorite, but... <laughs> I did select a couple. I love the mad rush of fishermen going out on the water to try and claim the reward, like throwing sticks of dynamite. This and guy like... with the dynamite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Ben Gardner, do you, do you guys know who that character is? He's a guy whose head pops up in the boat, mm. but he's also one of the fishermen on the boats heading out that day who has this little monologue about wishing your fathers had never met your mothers. Do you guys remember that? I don't. You don't? Oh, God. Yeah, there's a huge <laughs> amount of banter as they head out, isn't there, back and forth. Yeah. And, yeah, terrific. Yeah, yeah. But, but that guy was, he was just a local who lived on Martha's Vineyard, and Steven Spielberg thought he was so good that he kept throwing him in all these different scenes. <laughs> oh, is he the one who taught uh, Shaw how to talk? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. And the scene when Hooper first shows up and he steps out of the boat and there's this big guy just like towering over him, looking down at him. Do you remember that? Yes. That was Ben Gardner. Okay. He says, Hello, Beck, young fella. How are you? Hey, I hope you're not going out with those nuts, are you? That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, God. That was great. And then the dinner scene... I put dinner in quotes because <laughs> Cooper invites himself over and then helps himself to someone's meal. Yeah, to to Birdie's half-eaten meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is anyone eating this? <laughs> and he comes in saying, "I brought I brought red and white because I didn't know where you'd be serving, which, you know, they weren't serving anything. <laughs> you invited yourself over." <laughs> right. And then we talked about the sequence on the boat where they're comparing scars and then Quint's telling his story leading up to the shark kind of attacking the boat. That moment was really good. That whole sequence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's it's a bit different from everything else we've done with the shark up until that point. They're now enclosed and it's hitting them from all sides. 
Yeah, yeah. They feel really claustrophobic. It's definitely the hunter at that moment, not them. Mm, yeah. Mandy, anything that particularly uh, you recall or you liked while you were watching it? Well, I've already said my favorite character is Hooper. And I spent the entire movie, while, of course, paying attention to the movie, trying to figure out who young Richard Dreyfus reminded me of. Because the way he talks, his mannerisms, the way he looked with the curly hair and the beard, it's like, I just don't know who this guy is. Like, he reminds me of somebody, and it's not him, because... For me, Richard Dreyfus is Mr. Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus, yeah. which is a very different looking man. And and I could not figure it out. And finally, it came to me, Hodgins from Bones looks and sounds exactly like Hooper. And when I figured that out, it just made me happy because I really <laughs> love Hodgins. That was fantastic. King of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was king of the boat because he ended up on top of the boat. Yeah, he was king of the boat. Uh, I also really liked... Uh, Birdie's line, you're going to need a bigger boat, even though my pop cultural reference for that is the 90s Taco Bell commercial with the chihuahua. I'm going to need a bigger box. <laughs> oh, no. So, every time he talked about needing a bigger boat, all I could imagine was the Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> but on a more serious note, the way this movie ended was absolute perfection. With Brody and Hooper paddling, you know, off into the sunset, back into the town. And Brody says, I used to hate the water. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> like, for me, perfect ending is perfect. Mm. But I'm so glad that that's where the credits came in. Like, I had a, a split second thought of that should be the final line of the movie, but I know that they're going to end up back in town and everybody's going to be cheering for them or whatever. But then they didn't, and it ended there, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so did you like the fact that the shark gets blown up in the end? Did you like that part of the ending? <laughs> well, I mean, I liked that he died. I didn't really care yeah. how he died. Oh, okay. Check off gas uh, canisters. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, I, I did enjoy the the gas in the shark's mouth because he looked like um, he was chewing on a cigar. <laughs> the way it was wedged in the corner of his mouth. And um, I, I did really like Brody's line. Why are you son of a Bam! And then he blows up. I did like that. Um, but I just, I really liked the end because it kind of, it gave resolution to the entire movie. And it was beautiful. So in the scene earlier at their house, when Brody's looking through all these shark books after the first attack, he flips through a book and there's a picture of a shark with an oxygen tank in its mouth. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't notice nice. that. I only noticed that this time too, but yeah. The only picture I remember is the one where his wife was looking through the book and, and saw the, the shark biting the bottom of the boat and then made her kids get out of the boat. Yeah. 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 That's the only picture that I can remember what the details of it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a split second where this picture shows up. Yeah. So, Matthew, what were your favorite parts? Like we said, we've been through a lot of them. That shot, the dolly zoom, is just... It's impeccable. It's wonderfully done and, and stays with me. There's lots of throwaway lines that are really good, where they, where they cut up the tiger shark. He says, oh, came up from the Gulf Stream. <laughs> it's got a license plate in it. <laughs> 
And, and the, the very serious bit, as I said earlier, where the, the mother of the boy comes up and slaps him. It's a little shocking because you really feel the human cost of what's going on. Even all these people are whooping and cheering for killing a shark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we can't reference any of these without mentioning the, the bad hat, Harry. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was going to talk about that. I had no idea that came from this movie. I've only ever seen it at, at the, you know, at the end credits of like sitcoms and stuff because of the production company. And I had no idea that was an actual line in a movie. And it made me happy. It's uh, Brian Singer's production company. And you would have seen it at the end of House or any of the X-Men films. Some bad hat, Harry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is there... Anything else that we need to talk about with Jaws today? Yeah, I, I feel like we're not going to watch any sequels to this one. I support that. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I, I, I don't need to recommend any of the sequels. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's let's end this on a high note. <laughs> we can go away and, and watch something like uh, Sharktopus versus Mega Croc. Or... <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't recommend that either. Not that I've... <laughs> yeah, I might go rewatch Sharknado, though. I'm sure it's on Netflix now. Have you seen Deep Blue Sea? No. You should watch that one. That That's a good shark movie. That is a very good shark movie, yeah. Tackier, I want to say, but it's still, it's fun. I'm trying to think, is it, is, is it LL Cool J in that one? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, oh. of course. Okay, yeah. sign yeah. me up. And there, there's definitely a, a scene he's in you have to see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is a good film. Yep. <laughs> oh, I just thought of a monster movie that I forgot to talk about that I have actually seen. Oh, it's too late now. Um, <laughs> no, come on. No, you guys get to hear me tell you that I have seen the movie Anaconda. Oh, and yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I actually watched that... part of that because it was on TV the other night. Yeah, I think it's it was one of Jennifer Lopez's early movies. It also had one of the rapper-turned-movie actors... Uh, Ice Cube. Was it Ice Cube? I I wanted to say it was LL Cool J, and I'm thinking that is I can see his face, and I'm like that's not LL Cool J, so it was Ice Cube. God, you guys, that was a terrible movie, but I love it. And and a very young Owen Wilson. Yes. (laughs) I need to go rewatch this movie. No, it's really bad. (laughs) It's really bad, but terrible. There is a another spider movie from like the 70s that starred William Shatner. And I cannot remember the name of it, but it was about a tarantula infestation in a town. And I really like that movie, too. And I don't know why I'm obsessed with spider movies when I am legitimately terrified of spiders. Like, when I was 16, there was a giant spider in my bedroom, and I threw a shoe at it, trying to kill it, and I missed. And then I couldn't find the spider. And I stood in my doorway crying until my parents got home and would not go in my bedroom. I mean, when I say I'm afraid of spiders, I don't do spiders. But spider movies are like crack for me. Maybe watching movies where people get to dramatically defeat the evil spiders at the end is <laughs> is satisfying in some way. Spoiler alert, William Shatner did not defeat the spiders and the town was lost oh, God. to the spiders. The final I cannot remember what this movie was called, but the final shot of the movie was um a, a long pan out of the town and it is just blanketed in spider webs. The film is called Kingdom of the Spiders. That sounds like Planet of the Apes. Really well, does. I highly recommend it, you guys. If you want to see William Shatner <laughs> get bit by a tarantula on his face, you should watch this movie. <laughs> and of course, if we're moving from Samuel L. Jackson films, we have Snakes on a Plane. That's yeah. That's a recent one. Which I believe is actually on my list. 
I, I haven't seen it, and I think it is on the list as a potential. Oh, God. I'm going to have to watch that again sometime. <laughs> Maybe oh, not. God. We I need to get someone else on I don't on actually that. know that I want to watch it. <laughs> so, Lorna, speaking of the list, do you have any recommendations to add? So, I compiled my top five favorite movies expanding outside of the monster movie genre this time. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but obviously Jaws is on there, Titanic, The Beach, A League of Their Own, and Chicago are my top five. Some of those more iconic than others. (laughs) I am going to surprise everybody here by saying I have seen all of those except for The Beach. Because that's that's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, right? Yeah, and that's one that I just happen to really enjoy while recognizing that many people will not. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would or not. I I don't know why I've never seen it because it was Leonardo DiCaprio back when I really Which is liked why I Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've I've actually seen all of those except for the beach. So maybe one day we'll have you back and we can talk about the beach. Sounds good. Maybe. We'll, we'll see if, if I decide to watch it. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not going to say it's a, it's a classic and full of pop culture references or anything, but if you start reaching the end of your list, then go ahead and add it. <laughs> I am never going to reach the end of my list because yeah, people keep adding to it every week. <laughs> I, I was hoping you hadn't seen League of the Own because that yeah, I would enjoy too, watching again. Yeah, me too. Mm. <laughs> Oh, you guys. I mean, come on. It's a 90s movie that had badass women doing badass things, and it had Tom Hanks in it. Of course I saw this movie. Like, a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I saw it in the theater when it came out, because I remember walking out of the theater while Madonna song was playing. This used to be my playground. And feeling very sad, yet not sad at the same time. It's a great movie. It is. And now it's time for my very favorite part of the show, our listener feedback. I love it, love it, love it when you guys uh, tweet at us or email us or talk to us on Facebook or however you want to get in touch with us because it strokes my ego just a little bit. But I also love hearing your suggestions and feedback for things that we can do in the future and things that you enjoy that we're doing. And this week we have Jen on Twitter at IUGirlJen. She just discovered that I have a list of thoughts for each episode on um, the website, and they're also in our show notes if your podcast app lets you see them. And she says they are the best thing ever. So you guys, if you haven't been watching or or going to read my thoughts, you probably should, because I'm telling you, there's some comedy gold in those. The Holy Grail comments, especially. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, at least something good came out of Mandy watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Those docs are really, truly, like, complete stream of consciousness. If I think it, it gets typed into that list. And so they get really, really interesting. It's fun. In a recent episode, Matthew revealed that that he is not a fan of Doctor Who. And this was shocking to to several people. (laughs) And in particular, we had a comment from Laura Stewart-Berry about Doctor Who. And she has asked, perhaps you could do a one-off reverse pop culturally deprived with uh, me taking Matthew through it. Because it is also one of the few things available on Netflix UK. And she included the hashtag try it. So Matthew, I would very much like to know your thoughts on this. Do you want my thoughts on Doctor Who? 
Is this is this the point I discussed Doctor Who and my problems with it? No, I okay. want your thoughts on Laura's comments. <laughs> on, and her are we going to watch Doctor Who? Yes, we could have a one-off episode when I have watched all of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not fair. Cause it's never happen. <laughs> maybe, maybe a few of us uh, can get together and curate a list of some of the best episodes of new who you know maybe maybe just five. Oh, it's gonna be hard to narrow it down to just five but maybe we can curate just a list for you and then maybe we can talk about it if you would be willing to do that i am unduly harsh on doctor who at times uh there, there are problems with the writing problems with some of the stuff they do that i don't like but that's not for everything it is it is such a broad series there are times it's very good and there are things i know i would enjoy just there's enough there to put me off that I'm not going to get to them. So yes, if you can say to me, here's the David Tennant episode or series of episodes and the Matt Smith series uh, of episodes, then, then yes, I would I would watch them. I want to say the vision or something, the the things that you can't remember, the statues. What the are they weeping called? Angels? Weeping Angels, is that it? They're, yes, they're called the Weeping Angels. Okay. I was just looking up the name of the episode that they appear in, because I haven't uh, seen much of Doctor Who, but that one, I was like, oh my god, this is the best the episode, movie I've yeah. ever seen. I have heard it's very, very good, so I would... The I would episode is it. called Don't Blink. Yeah, that one. And yes, and that is actually, I think, the second episode of Doctor Who I ever saw. I, okay. I did not come to Doctor Who from the first episode, which is unusual for me, as you guys know. Um, someone curated a few episodes for me and then said, watch these first, and if you like them those, then go back and start um, with the first episode of New Who, and that's that's what I did. And so I'd very much like to do that for you, Matthew. And yeah. if any of our listeners would like to make suggestions for uh, Doctor Who episodes that should be on that list, please reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Mandy K, or you can reach out to our show at Eloquent Gushing, and we will start to put that together. Uh, Laura, especially since this was your suggestion, please reach out, and we will try to bring Matthew around to what's good. Yeah. And I do understand the hilarity of me saying that. <laughs> I do. I do. I do have a different perspective on this because I watched Doctor Who originally before it got rebooted to Christopher Eccleston. So I remember right. it when it was written very differently, acted very differently uh, for a very different audience. My doctor is Doctor Seven, Sylvester McCoy. Okay. Um, so that's quite a long time ago. And I have seen Christopher Eccleston series and I, I genuinely enjoyed it. But then he got into a strop and left the show, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got amazing. <laughs> I mean, I love Christopher Eccleston, and people who skip nine upset me, but David Tennant is my doctor. And and so his his seasons or series are hands down my favorite. Even though, interestingly enough, my favorite story arc is uh, season six, which is a Matt Smith story. So I'm really kind of all over the place with it. <laughs> But I just really like it. So I would really, really, really love to talk about it with you at some point. Okay. So let's make it happen. Okay. We, we will eagerly wait suggestions from people. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. And I am at Lorna Jane 86 Please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people discover the show. And do let us know if you review. We love to uh, be able to associate the comments and say thank you directly to you. Especially if you're someone that we may not be familiar with. 
We had a, a lovely review last week from someone whose username we have never seen before. And I would love to be able to say thank you, but I don't know who you are. So if it was you, thank you very much. Hearts. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Farscape Season 2. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it went right to my head. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.